Welcome to Through the Line, the Agency Squared podcast with me, Andy Barjuri. In this episode, I am chatting with Richard Hewitt, who runs a research agency called Precog. And Richard spent the best part of 15 years of his career really learning how to understand the human condition and how marketeers can use that understanding to develop strategies, new products to innovate. And Richard's approach is based on ethnography and anthropology. And ethnography is an observational science that's centered around cultural interpretation. So understanding cultures, whether that's in B2B or B2C markets. So if you're interested in understanding your customers better and looking at ethnography, you should enjoy the show. Richard, good morning. How are you doing today? Hi, Andy. I'm great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on to the show today. I'm really excited to have you here because we're talking about something that I think is so fundamental to good marketing, but often forgotten. And that's this idea of human-centered marketing, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment. But I'd really like just to kick off by if I briefly introduce you, because you've got quite an impressive track record of the kind of brands you've worked for and the agencies you've worked for. And, and I think if I was to sum it up, I would say probably for the last 15 or so years, you've been specializing in researching the human condition and how to understand that for marketing. Is that fair? Is that a kind of really simple summary? Uh, I would say so. I think, yes, a combination of marketing and product design, really. So that's really from a physical and digital perspective. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I think people are, are really at the center of everything that I do. Yeah, excellent. And some of the brands that you work for, they're, they're large brands. They're Santander, Lloyd's, Shell, HMRC of all people, and then agency side, McCann's. And, and I think you kind of cut your teeth at Saatchi and Saatchi, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. And I think um, Saatchi and Saatchi really gave me a founding uh, into understanding humans and the way in which we approach understanding humans. Uh, and it really just, uh, my whole career sort of started out again, obviously from university, uh, doing communications and then moving into, into advertising um, and under- understanding how uh, Saatchi approaches, or at the time at least, approached um, connecting with people. And that was through their Love Marks ideology. <laughs> and we're both big fans of that Love Marks ideology. We were just raving about the book before we got started this morning. It's great to have the the, the prompts to to pick up that book again that's been sitting on my bookshelf and not touched for a couple of years and just delving back into it. It's great. Uh, but what do you mean then by human-centered marketing? What's that all about? So I think human-centered marketing really is something that's born out of something called human-centered design. And it's really something that has evolved over the years, probably since around the 1960s um, to what we know today. And I, I would say it's an amalgamation of a lot of different methodologies. So thinking about psychology, anthropology, which is obviously a key area for me, um, and bringing that all together into almost a formalized process in which we can um, practice uh, hu- being human-centered. So what you'll start to see is uh, organizations adopting a design thinking process, um, which is really, as, a, as the name implies, the process to deliver human-centered 
uh, design or marketing, um, which is really the mindset. So what's that process? What's that design thinking process? So the design thinking process is adapted in various different places. Um, I would say at a very basic level, it's about understanding people and putting people at the center of everything that you do. Again, coming back to the human-centered aspect of it. Um, but the, talking about the process, it's really about empathizing, defining, ideating, prototyping, and testing. And it's an iterative process that you go through to ensure you understand people and obviously deliver uh, materials, products, whatever it might be for those people. And you bring them at the center of that process as well. Mm, okay, so that iterative process just makes me think of that big buzzword of agile marketing at the moment. And, and I guess that, you know, being able to put something in the market, see how it works, get some feedback from customers and and then obviously build on that iterate is is a key part of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think when we talk about agile marketing, we tend to think a lot about collecting data. Um, we think about subjects like big data and, and how we use the insights we get from from that kind of data to inform decision making but that's a little bit different to this isn't it i guess that's a different i suppose it's it's valid it's you're collecting feedback from the market but it's it's big data as opposed to actually talking to people and watching people and observing how they how they use and enjoy a product and service. yeah that's right so i think um again a lot of um ethnographers might uh, sort of shy away from big data and um, almost treated as a bad word, but I don't think it's that. I think it is, uh, they can work hand in hand, really. So using data and um, taking that human-centered approach as well. So data will obviously tell you what people are doing. Uh, the, the tools that I use, ethnography, will tell you why people are doing those certain things. And I think definitely what we've seen recently and... Um, Actually, not even that recently. So if you look back to that Love Marks book that, that we talked about, um, again, marketers were starting to use data a lot in their approach. And now it's become almost like an automated process for them. And marketers almost looking for that automated process. And that is because of that big data. Um, but I think really what they've kind of lost touch in terms of using that is understanding people and really being able to form those human connections. Uh, and that definitely um, manifests itself when you start to see things like behavioral retar retargeting, whereby, again, uh, take an example of uh, at Christmas time, I was looking for some dinosaur toys for my son. And I'll click on one on uh, whatever website it might be. And for the next month or so, I'll start to see dinosaur toys pop up all over the place. It's not really a human-centered approach. It's uh, some people might call it creepy, but that's that's essentially the the difference there. Yeah, I think there are lots of challenges with, with retargeting and how accurate that actually is. Uh, and also the value of that retargeting. I'm guessing you might have bought your dinosaur toy the first time around. And the, you know, the subsequent 30 days of dinosaur ads are probably a waste of that marketeer's budget. But let's not delve into that. Let's talk about ethnography because you mentioned that term ethnographic research. So is that a methodology you've developed? Is that something that's commonly used or, or is that? No, it's um, definitely not something that I've done. And again, it's born out of anthropology. Um, I'd love to be able to call myself an, an anthropologist, but I'm not. Um, it's 
I think anthropology is generally viewed as a very academic field. And really, the, the approach that I take was born out of that. So uh, obviously, ethnography is the study of uh, people and culture. And obviously, when we bring that to a business perspective, it's looking at the organization as well in context of people. Um, and there are quite a lot of terms that anthropology or concepts that anthropology has brought to the field. So, for example, key things like reflexivity, which is almost self-reflection and bias and understanding that you're that you bring that to the field when you're practicing ethnography. It's about understanding the context of a situation. So when you're understanding people in obviously their own context and understanding the context of the world that they live in. And then also uh, holism, which is about bringing uh, other disciplines to the field and understanding different approaches and ways that people do things. Uh, and organizations today, I believe, are very inward looking. And from an anthropological point of view, you would almost call that ethnocentrism, where people or companies view themselves as the center of the universe. Um, and really what I do with eth ethnography is try to bring a cultural relativist point of view, which is understanding people and cultures in their own context and not necessarily applying a company's or a culture's uh, view onto another culture or another co company or even another person. Mm, that, that's really interesting. And now, just going back to what you said at the start, there is companies tend to be more inward looking these days. And, and as a as a marketeer, who's obviously my job or our job is to make sure that we're understanding the needs and wants of our customers, and then producing a product or service that they're happy to pay for, and that value exchange. So if we're just inward looking, that would suggest that what we're really doing is putting out products based. Uh, with a heavy feature set without really understanding what our customers really want to need. And and I guess then your your job as the uh, ethnographer, the researcher, is then to kind of turn it around and look at the, the customer, look at their context, look at what it is that their desires, needs and wants are and go from there. Exactly. And I think if I could summarize um, human-centered design and what ethnography brings to organizations, if I could summarize it into one word, I would say it's empathy. So it's really understanding how people think, understanding their goals, their wants, their views on the world, their challenges, um, and obviously their emotional needs. And it really allows us to connect on a deeper level with those people and, and really deliver products, services, and communication that addresses those needs and desires. Which brands do you see that are taking this kind of empathetic, ethnographic approach to understanding their customers? Are there, you know, I'm guessing that the kind of leading brands like P&G, for example, are probably doing this kind of work. But is that, am I right there or am I making a, am I making a Um Obviously, PNG is a is a great example, and what we've seen recently is just with the evolution of technology is technology focused organizations. So, uh, Amazon, Google, Apple, um, all those types of organizations, just because the consumers have that technology, understanding their needs and desires is very important as well. So, you'll start to see organizations like that have brought in lots of corporate anthropologists within the organization and they will be using those tools those ethnographic tools to understand their customers and ultimately build better products and services for those those customers 
Mm, I have to be honest, I've not heard of the role of corporate anthropologist before, but it does sound like a fascinating facet. I guess that sits within the marketing organization, right? Uh, it can. Yeah, it, it's, it sometimes fits within the marketing part of the organization. And uh, I mean, it can go, it can cut across various different levels. So obviously product design, strategy, um, various different parts of the organization might use a cult, uh, corporate anthropologist. Okay. And Amazon, I think, is one of those brands that does this very well. I've never worked for Amazon, but I understand there's a very heavy client or customer focus. If you're at Amazon, uh, then the, the focus is always around, oh, is what we're doing going to improve our customer satisfaction? I think I think that is kind of part of the Amazon culture, isn't it? Definitely. Um, I've seen quite a few videos going around on LinkedIn um, sort of, of Jeff, Jeff Bezos and uh, just how he talks about the customer being at the center of everything that they do. And that's really what the organization was built on is understanding the customer's needs and uh, just ensuring that they're able to deliver those. Yeah. Do you think that's a way, a good way of, of predicting the future, I suppose, by better understanding your customer? Definitely. So that's something which I um, practice in terms of the foresight work that I do. And one of the quotes that Jeff Bezos actually, or something that was quoted from him, he um, he he mentioned. I think it was at a uh, Amazon Web Service uh, conference that they have. I think it's yearly. Um, but he talked about getting. He often gets the question, "What's going to change in the next ten years?" And he says that's a it's a very common question. But he almost never gets the question, "What is not going to change in the next ten years?" And something that we know that is not necessarily going to change in the next 10 years is human values and motivations. And if you go back to something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, again, I won't go into the criticisms of that as well, but taking that as almost a foundation, people's values don't change, the external world changes, and the way that people adapt to those changes will manifest in in different ways. So really, if we can understand those human motivations, we can almost look into the future, look at what maybe technologies might emerge, what might emerge in various different fields. So for example, fashion is very fast changing. And then we can see how those values and motivations of people will change in the future going forward. Okay. And I think that's obviously of, of great value to a marketeer, <laughs> looking beyond that kind of performance marketing 12-month realm and thinking a bit more strategically, you need to have a bit more insight looking further forward, don't you? Yeah. So can we look up, uh, just talk briefly about some of the actual tools? So what are the kind of, because fundamentally you're talking about uh, a, a market research and there are some pretty commonly used market research tools and tactics that people use. Is that any different in, in ethnography? Are we doing different types of research? Yeah, so ethnography is traditionally um, more observation-based. So looking at um, how people are sitting in a space with a person and observing how they might do something in their day-to-day -day life. Traditionally, it's a very long process as well. Again, from a corporate point of view, it's been slightly adapted so you'll start to see things coming along, out like shop-alongs, usability studies, video diaries, day in the life, all those types of things. Um, again, these are probably tools that marketers might have used before, but it's really also bringing that anthropological point of view onto it and ensuring that you, you have that uh, cultural relative, relativism embedded within those tools. I'm intrigued by the term shop-along. You know, I'm just... I've got kind of a, a mixture of a mystery shopper exercise 
but perhaps a guided shopping exercise. I'm wondering how that that I'm always concerned with observational studies as to how being observed and the knowledge that you are being observed actually changes your behaviors. That, I mean, that's the whole point of uh, reflexivity as well as also understanding how your presence in that space might affect the results that you get. Um, but again, that, an experienced researcher or ethnographer w- would understand how to um, how to deal with those types of situations. In terms of uh, shop along specifically, it's it's quite an interesting um, area, and it's something that I've, I've had experience with in the past. And I wanted to give you an example, really, of uh, something that's emerged in. I've I've actually seen a little bit of it in places like Sainsbury's and Tesco's here in the UK, where they'll set aside some time for slow shopping, where they might switch off the music, they might might make it a bit more relaxed. Um, and traditionally, you might think that would be for elderly people or neurodiverse people to so obviously be in a more comfortable environment. I'm going to bring back the data element because. If you were to look at people shopping in a store, you might see from a data perspective, older people, obviously just from a biological point of view, as you get older, you would generally get slower physically. What is the solution to that? You might uh, make a faster checkout for them. You might put all their groceries, typically things that an elderly person might get in one aisle. So it's faster for them to do that. So that's from a data point of view. If you take an ethnographic and qualitative research point of view, you go in and understand those people in those shopping environments. What do older people do when they go to a shop? They might stop and have a coffee. They might chat to friends that they meet up in the store. Maybe that's the reason they're taking longer. So something that Dutch supermarket Jumbo came up with a couple of years ago is something called, it it was... It was an aisle, a slow checkout lane, essentially, for customers who like to talk. Uh, And it really also addresses issues of loneliness. Um, And that is something you definitely wouldn't have found taking a data or quantitative approach in analyzing why people would potentially be shopping slower in a in a supermarket <laughs> i'm relating that to my own personal experience and taking my mom who's in her 70s shopping around her local sainsbury's that can be a very long exercise <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's not because she walks slowly it's because she wants to look at everything in the store she's definitely going to meet some friends on the way around have a good catch-up and probably will have a coffee at the end exactly as you describe and i think understanding that human condition in that way helps the the stores perhaps to to cater for those needs so i totally get that is there an application for this in a i mean obviously it's clear that it, you can use it in b2c so the example of i think you said yumbo for the supermarket or jumbo is there a b2b application of this kind of research this uh, human-centered thinking there is so again if you think about um the anthropological point of view it's about understanding maybe microcultures and obviously within an organization they will have their own culture and thinking about uh how an organization does things the tools that they might use definitely uh it's it's it, you can use it from a b2b perspective so to give you an example um on some projects that i've worked on in the past If your organization, for example, produces some tools for another organization to use, you might want to understand how they're using those tools, how their processes 
fit around using those tools. Again, coming back to the point of an organization thinks that they're the center of the universe, they will think that their customers use their products at the center of everything that they do, where that might not be the case. Going into that organization, finding out, again, the real processes that they go through, the real tools that they use, the, the company that you're working with would definitely see that, that that's, well, not definitely, but they, they would potentially see that that's not the case. I, I'm just thinking as well as, as you're talking there about the, the logistical complexities, difficulties of observing a, a, you know, a B2B client. So if I'm a large software company, for example, I can't so easily go into my largest client and just watch how they're using the tech and watch how the, the culture is within the organization. So I'm guessing it's a slightly different approach to gathering that insight in the first place. It is. So to give you a practical example of uh, clients that I've worked with in the past, it's about, first of all, engaging with the customers that they already have. Um, a lot of B2B organizations, particularly some of the larger organizations, so I'm going to come back to Shell as an example, um, they will have very strong partnerships with those customers. Those are the types of people that you want to start or organizations that you want to start mm. partnering with to engage in research. Just because it's such a close partnership, um, it makes it a little bit easier from a researcher point of view to get into those organizations. Again, if it's maybe an organization trying to sell to new customers, that's where it's very difficult. And there might be um, almost a skeptical, the organization's if you've not dealt with or had a partnership with an, with a customer before, it's completely new. They might be quite skeptical um, with you mm. coming in and trying to understand what are their processes, um, what are they doing, what are the tools that they're using. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that's the case. So you need to have a pretty strong relationship. And, you know, the stakeholders involved in that conversation will be those sales and relationship managers that are involved in, uh, you know, keeping that relationship healthy and, and, and thriving. I think it's interesting, isn't it? I, I suspect that a lot more work has been done in the consumer space and B2B using this kind of research, but there's there's definitely opportunities there for B2B marketeers to look at this as an option. And, and I guess that leads me to the, to the question is, you know, what are the kind of challenges? What is it that leads a, a marketeer to come and do some ethnographic research? What are the challenges that they, they're, they're faced with that they think, you know what, this is a, a good avenue for me? So I think... Really, for a marketer to use this type of approach, they might have an idea of what they want to do within the organization. They might have an inkling uh, of an approach to take. Maybe they want to take the business to a higher level. They might not have, however, identified their customer base. They might not have mm. identified how to connect with those target consumers on a very deep personal level. I think corporate anthropologists, coming back to that term, can definitely help you accomplish those goals. Some other benefits, developing marketing strategies. Again, coming back to knowing and understanding those consumer thoughts and actions, um, particularly when they may be making purchasing decisions. It'll help you develop, develop those effective marketing strategies, develop those narratives and stories that you want to communicate to those customers. I'm, I'm just thinking about that as you talk because what, one of the, some work I'm doing with a client right now is to build out you know, those buyer personas and that, that ideal customer persona that we're going to use then to refine, tweak value propositions and you know, core messaging to go out through marketing communications. And a lot of that is based on 
obviously experience of working in the sector, knowledge of their customers, but a lot of assumptions. A lot of it, not much of it is based on actually observing how customers really make decisions around why they would hire uh, this as a design company, why they would hire that company. Mm-hmm. And I, that's an area where I think, you know, a little bit of extra insight might be quite useful when it comes to um, strategy or even perhaps, you know, where are we going to communicate and what are we going to say to our customers or our target customers? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I'm gonna have to mull that one over. I might have a I might have a contract for you <laughs> <laughs> or a project. What um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, going back to that term, human-centered marketing, or I think I've I've heard the term human-centric marketing, perhaps used more often than that human-centered. It does feel like it's marketing 101, but perhaps it's something that gets a little bit lost. And you know, with the variety of research methodologies available to the to the marketeer. Whether whether we or not often get to this ethnographic approach, I don't know. It's not something that I've heard too many marketeers talking about versus other more qual and quant based stuff that is, I guess, more typical. Um, you know, surveys or uh, test campaigns or observational studies and so on and so forth. Um, so it's it's kind of adding an additional layer of thinking of complexity to the toolkit that most marketeers have already got isn't it exactly and i don't think it's it's not rocket science it's it's about connecting with people and really taking the time to think about that i think again coming back to what i mentioned earlier with uh using data it's it's become an almost automated process people are losing that human connection and i think really that's what it's getting back to and it's for me, as a as a researcher and an ethnographer, I almost view myself as a translator between people and businesses. So helping different dis- disciplines within the organization understand uh, customers and applying it to their particular discipline. Um, so, yeah, that's really what I do. And I can help organizations empathize with those customers. And again, it's not just asking them a question. It's really Again, as I said, thinking, understanding their their emotions, their goals, and their wants. Uh, and I guess let, let's come back to that the the love marks because obviously we've been raving about it before we hit the record button, and obviously mentioned it during the show. And that was a, a book written by Kevin Roberts, who was the CEO of uh, Saatchi and Saatchi Worldwide. And it's a really good book. Uh, and this is, I know, is going out as audio, but I'm holding up to the camera the, the actual book itself because I've, I've had it on my shelf for a while. And I just wanted to read out the little, there's a little uh, um, in the excerpt at the front, just a little piece of it. And this is from uh, Yoshio Ishizaki, or Ishizaki, I've probably very poorly pronounced that name. But he, he was the executive vice president of uh, Toyota. And the quote is, I have learned based on my experience that everything is dominated by the market. So whenever we are stuck with any obstacles or difficulties, it always I always say to myself, listen to the market, listen to the voice of the customer. That's the fundamental essence of marketing. And, and I think we're probably both going to strongly agree with that sentiment, aren't we? Definitely. Yeah, excellent. A uh, great book as well. I'm definitely going to have to get it back at the top of my reading pile. It's been a few years since I've been through it. Yeah, definitely. Richard, who do you look to for kind of uh, insight or um, inspiration? What kind of books do you read or publications do you look to for thinking in this space? Yeah, so definitely there's an organization that I've been a member of for quite a few years now, and it's called Epic. 
And essentially their um, role is to advance the value of ethnography and industry. So they, I want to say they originally started out as a group of anthropologists. Uh, that might not be 100% correct, but essentially I think it was in sort of San Francisco that they started bringing together some researchers from various different organizations such as Intel, I know is a big sponsor of the organization. And really now when you go to one of their conferences, it'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, a mixture of people from various different fields. So user experience, marketing, advertising, um, obviously product design, industrial design. It's a melting pot of different disciplines, but we all have a common goal and that's really to understand people um, and to how to use ethnography to make, I suppose, the world a better place through understanding people and understanding their needs and hopefully uh, organizations being able to, to meet and match those needs. I think that's a, it's a good goal, isn't it? To better understand the humans, whether they're our customers or society at large, you know, what can we do as organizations to contribute to that? And I think we've seen that huge rise in the interest if, in brand purpose over the years that hopefully kind of supports that more global uh, common goal rather than just making money but doing better for the planet as well it's really interesting i have to have a look at did you say it was epic yes yeah, epic. so the website i think is epicpeople.org and again um as i mentioned every year they have a conference um and they submit uh well obviously you'll have members submitting papers uh to that conference again i think this is something that you see in the in the anthropology world is quite ac academic so you'll see lots of papers there it's, it's actually very interesting when you go through it, a lot of different subjects covered. So, for example, uh, the one at the end of last year, which was held in Amsterdam, there was a paper on Zoom fatigue. And obviously, just the nature of COVID and, and lockdown, and it's, it looked a little bit deeper into how different people behave on Zoom, the different types of roles that people assume when they're on a Zoom call, and on, whether it be a, a small Zoom call with a couple of people or a larger one with maybe 20, 30 people, um, and how people behave and uh, the feelings that they have within those scenarios. That, now that's really interesting and very relevant, isn't it, given how much time most of us, at least in the marketing uh, or office-based professions, tend to spend a lot of time on Zoom, don't we? So that's going to be quite an interesting piece of research. Is that freely available or do you have to be an EPIC? Yeah, uh, so you do have to be an EPIC member for that. If you are interested in the field, I would highly recommend it. They post videos of their conferences on there as well. There's also a lot of tutorials um, and various ad hoc talks that they do throughout the year. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, I definitely recommend it. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, I'll have to have a look at that. Richard, thanks so much for joining me. It's interesting to have a look under the hood at ethnography and a different area of research that I personally haven't looked at before. And so I'm really pleased to have spoken to you. Where should people go to to get in touch with you if they want to find out more or want to think about adding this into their market research? I think, um, yeah, definitely LinkedIn is is a classic one for me. Just I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Otherwise, uh, my my company is called Precog. Um, so if you're interested, uh, check out precog.ltd. Fantastic. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Great. Richard, thanks so much. Great pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, good to chat to you, Andy. Mm -hmm.